Hello and welcome to another episode of Tax Updates with Ron Cohen. Today is is May 4th. And I'm mentioning the date because things are changing so quickly. I want to make sure these reports are date stamped. I'm with the firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson & Company. We're a CPA firm, about 35 people here in beautiful downtown Fremont, California. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. And our website is www.groco.com. Groco.com. All right, in this episode, we're going to cover... Issues about the mounting deficit, uh, issues with uh, paycheck protection loan and the deductibility of the underlying expenses that forgiveness is based upon. I mentioned a little bit about California health care issues. And uh, after watching the president last night on TV, I would think I'll mention the biggest issue that I saw was um, the growing push towards a payroll tax cut which is an idea I first heard about in 1974 to stimulate the economy, but we may actually get it this time. First, a few caveats. Take no reliance on anything you hear on this podcast. You're happy to call us and validate it, become a client, or go to any other qualified tax professional. Make sure you give them all the facts and circumstances. Make sure they review it. You're comfortable with the advice before you use that advice in any transaction or put a number on a tax return and file it. Secondly, uh, plagiarism is okay because we're not doing any works of art here or writing any novels. Uh, We take information from the government sources, from other practitioners who are putting out things on the internet to the general public. I try to give credit when I can, but uh, practicing tax is trying to find the best idea that's out there, regardless of who wrote it. And uh, don't assume for a moment anything we say on this podcast is an original thought. Uh, third, no politics. You can listen to podcasts about politics, as I do sometimes, all day and night. And we try to stay away from that here, although tax policy is sometimes driven by political motivations. Uh, we do re- tax returns and planning. We have about, oh, I don't know, 1,400 clients of all sorts and types. Uh, lastly, I am no cheerleader for this tax system. It is intrusive. It's tedious. It's boring. The most uh, simple issue has a flowchart of 20 steps in order to do something right. And you always have to do it right because the expectation when you file any return with any tax authority, even down to the simplest sales tax return is that you get an A plus, not an A or an A minus or a B plus or a C and certainly not anything less than that. Um, there, so the expectation uh, from a professional standpoint, ethical standpoint, is every return is figured out perfectly as best you can interpret. There are gray areas and that is always with the knowledge that sometimes the tax authority doesn't even know what the law is. And if their audit ever came up, um, they will be baffled, but you still have a duty 
to do the best you can based on the information available at the time to file it and get an A+. So we certainly certainly go by that standard. That says I think the tax system is ridiculous here in the United States in that um, it doesn't even raise enough revenue to run the government. While it cost taxpayers, last I saw, somewhere between six and $700 billion a year to comply and plan and defend audits for doing their taxes. Absolutely ridiculous. There's got to be a more elegant way to do it. All right. So with those caveats out of the way, let's go to one of the bigger things this week, which uh, many of our clients are out there getting PPP loans, payroll protection program loans. We're all suffering through this catastrophic COVID-19 catastrophe. Some days it looks like it's getting better. Some days it looks like it's getting worse. Um, and we're trying to deal with it. And so uh, early on, we sent out emails and warnings. We have a uh, page on our website at growco.com, absolutely dedicated to COVID-19, where we mentioned everything we possibly can. Some of them have absolutely no relation to taxes, but there are different kinds of aid available to people. And so we put it on the page Uh, We are one of many uh, uh, big firms, small firms that are doing that. Uh, Your congressman is sending out emails with all kinds of aids available. Their websites are beautiful uh, because they work in the public service on on the public payroll to make sure that uh, everything for all kinds of people at all kinds of income levels, uh, uh, the information is pushed out so that people can uh, partake of those benefits from... uh, from food banks to all kinds of financial benefits. But one of the biggest ones going around is uh, the under the CARES Act, these payroll protection program loans are going through it. I'm aware of many clients who have or are really close to getting their magic check. Um, they have uh, suffered through with their bank, the requirements, uh, they've signed the loan documents, And as I understand it, I am by no means an expert in banking. Do not pretend to be one at all. That is not an expertise for a CPA. So I can only mention it in terms of anecdotal uh, things I've heard. What you want is to get the magic number from the Small Business Administration. You've sent in your paperwork. uh, Your bank's okayed it. They've sent it to the Small Business Administration. It's working day and night. Uh, the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, said that they've done more loans in the last 14 days than the Small Business Administration has done in the last 14 years. So this is uh, an uh, uh, exceptional, uh, tremendous over you know uh, abnormality in the terms of volume, but it's happening. And uh, you get your magic number from the SBA saying your bank okayed it. They took out their checklist and went through their five or six points and uh, maybe more, and they, they okayed it, and you get this magic number from the SBA. It comes back to the bank. The bank calls you and said, well, okay, here's the final docs. Everybody sign them. You've got 10 days. And, in fact, you actually don't have 10 days because uh, the scuttlebutt we've heard is you, if you do not respond very quickly to your bank, sign the documents and uh, get that thing going. The bank is so busy, they are just going to move right on to the next person who's going to be more cooperative. So if you've fought through this process, you're ready to go, you get your magic number, 
Uh, you know, this, the, the world is changing so quickly. Uh, uh, now they're using DocuSign documents, right? Usually with a loan, you, the notary would come to your business, your house with a, with a, you know, a, a four inch document and everybody would circle around and take out their driver's licenses and the notary would sign them off. And here in California, you put a fingerprint in a book to say, this is really, really me signing. Well, now with DocuSign, and the other thing that uh, sometimes I object to, uh, again, not to getting into too much inside baseball, but they've kind of done away with notaries because when you log in to sign on the DocuSign, they, the, the DocuSign system, completely independent of the bank or the SBA um, organization, the DocuSign organization, in an effort to protect themselves and to verify you are you, has a service provider that does a LexisNexis search and asks you incredible questions like, you know, what's the age of your second son? And did you own a Buick Skyhawk in 1974? And you, they give you 78 questions, uh, not seven or eight questions. I think you can miss one or two, but you got to get most of them right. And so that is to stand in the place of the notary who would come in who you'd give a fingerprint in a book and they'd sign off that they visually looked at your driver's license uh, to swear to God it's you. Uh, so in, in the world, uh, interesting. So now these DocuSign systems, uh, quickly you, you go through those, you send those in, uh, the, 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 they all go back to the bank. The bank uses its magic number uh, from the SBA and says, send the magic money. And why I say it's magic money? Because the PPP loans are forgivable with, most importantly, no personal guarantee by the borrowers. No guarantee. None. No guarantee. If you don't pay them back, they can't take your house or your car or your kids or anything. They can't take anything because there's no personal guarantee. There is a provision. And uh, again, the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, has uh leaned on this often is you are certifying in that PPP loan, you are certifying, swearing to God and certifying under penalty of perjury and everything else that you will spend this money to pay employees, pay utilities, pay your mortgage, pay the interest on this loan. That's how you're going to spend the, the, the money. And um, uh, Mr. Mnuchin has says for any of these loans over a million dollars or two, I, th I think it was over a million dollars, they will audit that in the future. So when you go to say, okay, forgive it, forgive it. Thank you for the loan. We did everything. We spent it and now forgive it, make it disappear. So, uh, I, an IRS auditor is going to come by and make sure you complied with the certification and spent all that money, mostly on salaries and the other allowable expenses to be sure that your forgiveness is totally within the loan documents you signed eight times, literally, there's eight signature boxes, and uh, you did everything properly to have it forgiven. Okay, so with that lead up, the tax issue today is uh, IRS Notice 2020-32 clarified an issue that was clear to me when this started, which was that, well, if a loan is forgiven, it is usually income under Section 108 of the Internal Revenue Code going back um, 50, 60, 70 years. And you have to find several types of exceptions 
Uh, usually if you're going bankrupt, that's one of them. If you're technically insolvent, I won't go through the math, but that means liabilities exceed all capital and assets and so forth. Uh, uh, otherwise you have income. If you've ever had a discharge debt on a credit card, you get a form 1099 in the mail and it says, well, okay, uh, you don't owe us anymore, but you owe the government because possibly unless you're going bankrupt or technically insolvent, you owe uh, some tax on that money because uh, the forgiveness of debt is taxable. All right. So with these PPAP loans, they said, well, okay, th this will not be taxable. It will not be taxable when it's forgiven. And I immediately said, okay, well, if it's not taxable, it falls under two precepts accountants love, which is called the matching principle. If I have money and I spent it on an expense, and if the money I got is non-taxable, then the expense must be non-deductible. That's the matching principle goes back to Leonardo da Vinci and the first creation of accounting rules, because without going through a lot of technical gap discussion, it's simply a reimbursement. You got reimbursed. You can never deduct an expense that's being reimbursed, right? If you have an expense and uh, let's say it's some, the, the, the cl classic example is you incur expense on behalf of a client. And so you have the expense, you deduct the expense, but then the client paid you for the expense because you did it on his behalf. You've been reimbursed. So of course there's no deduction. So what's the difference between that and these PPP loans where the forgiveness is directly unequivocally tied to the expenditure of a certain expense. There's no difference. It's a reimbursement. Um, and so the uh, IRS put out a notice to clarify that the items that you deduct, uh, I'm sorry, the items that you paid that were covered by PPP funds, which you must prove to an auditor in some cases, there was direct connection between the money you received that was a forgiven debt and the money you expended uh, th those deduct those amounts are, are non-deductible. It's only fair. It's only fair. I have money for free. I used it to pay an expense. The item can't be deductible. Why is this so um, important? Because if the expenses were deductible, which again defies the rules under the matching principle, and it defies the rules regarding expenses for tax-exempt income. You, we can never deduct expenses incurred to earn tax-exempt income for exactly the same reason. If the fruits of the expenditure is to, to, to receive income that you don't pay tax on, then certainly the expenses uh, derived to uh, uh, used incurred to um, uh, earn that income can't be deductible. It just makes sense. So to my shock, to my shock and dismay, <laughs> uh, many CPAs uh, in some of the groups that we're affiliated with were expressing how horrible this is. And I, I put on a public, uh, we have a little, little chat room and I said, I, I don't understand what in the world you were thinking, right? Uh, uh, it, it, the cost of the program like doubles <laughs> if if uh, uh, not doubles, maybe 60% more. If you get the income for free, it's forgiven for free, and you get to deduct the underlying expense that you used the money to pay, all of a sudden, the cost of the program would go up by 
by, uh, well, I guess basically by the tax rate. So in a lot of cases, that's uh, for corporations, 21% for a top rate for individuals, you know, that might be 20, 25, 30%, 37%, depending on, uh, um, um, you know, how uh, top rate you're at as an individual. Um, Clearly not intended. My comment to my peers, who some didn't like it so much, was, you know, okay, the politicians are morons, but we shouldn't be. <laughs> you cannot get a classic double dip. You can't get money for free and then deduct the expense that it was used to pay. It's simply a reimbursement. So, um, again, the IRS issued notice 2020-32 and in a much more technical way went through and kind of said exactly what I said just now, but with a number of code sections and some of the historical background. And um, some people were surprised. And I just, I just, I don't understand where the surprise would come from. Um, um, it was, it's, it, 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 I still categorize it as free money, right? Because your expense that you incurred has now been reimbursed. That's free money. That's free money. Well, your expense that has been incurred has been reimbursed and you get to deduct it. That's a money-making scheme. <laughs> if you play that out to its mathematical endpoint, I do that all day long, right? I'm making money, of course. And this is deadly serious stuff. I mean, th these numbers are draining the treasury minute by minute by the truckload. Of course, it's all electronic now, so it's not by uh, physical trucks <laughs> filled with $100 bills. It's, it's with digital money, but these, these amounts are immense. They're terribly sad. And uh, uh, I'll just move on from notice 2020-32 to say to think you would get something reimbursed and then still get to deduct it um, means you didn't pay much attention in your first class of accounting back in college. <laughs> okay, moving on. Well, uh, uh, dovetailing from what I just talked about, I give credit to Deloitte on this article of May 1st. Uh, oh, these things, we put a lot of things in the show notes. I try with some real effort to make sure I put uh, something with an authoritative link on just about everything I talk about in the show notes. So if you didn't think uh, I said it well or you didn't understand it, just click on the link and you can get a write-up uh, often by Deloitte, often by newspapers and so much and so forth that will describe things uh, uh, very, very well. So the deficit, the, you know, the de there's the debt and the deficit. The debt is how much outstanding treasury bonds are out there issued by the U.S. government putting a lien on you and me and our children and grandchildren for the next thousand years. How about that? Uh, can I be more scary? <laughs> can I, can the next the level of scariness is that someone will come to your house in 10 years and ask for you to pay it in gold. That's where this might end up, but okay, let's not go there. Uh, that is $25 trillion with a T, $25 trillion with a T today. It's going up extraordinarily fast. A million or two, a million or two, million dollars a minute if you really want to launch yourself into a panic attack. And uh, that's a lean on our children, grandchildren. Uh, um, I'll be dead before they can do anything about it, hopefully. 
and and that is actually the end point. The end point is when they go door to door, start collecting it. Nobody's talking about that, but um, uh, or or they'll actually uh, not to get too political. What they'll do is they'll cut our social security benefits, and uh, various academics have stud- studied this in great detail with super duper spreadsheets and artificial intelligence. And this was three years ago, a Boston University uh, professor whose name escapes me at the moment, I apologize about that, said, you know, it's really about a 30% cut in Social Security. Otherwise, the doors fall off the car, nothing works, and everything freezes. So rather than coming door to door and taking their share, or if you don't have any gold coins or uh, anything else, well, they'll just take some, hey, that's a nice car. You know, all right. So I get it. I get extreme, but uh, that's that's the end point. Rather, they'll just cut the Social Security checks, and your Medicare may be not so good, right? Uh, another horror story. Hey, look, uh, we're going to pay less and less for that surgery you had when you were eighty years old, uh, because you're eighty years old, and uh, um, you know you've had a good life, and uh, that fifty thousand dollars surgery that's going to earn you another three months of life maybe uh, is too much cost of of society. But again, I digress in the politics and won't go there. All right. So there's the debt. That's the debt. That's the debt. I will say one more snotty thing about the debt. All right. So as a, as a grandfather, my three grandchildren were born, beautiful kids, having a happy life. You know, I think that I, 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 I'm making this up, but I think the number is the minute they came out, and took their first breath, they had $70,000 of debt on their back. Did anybody ask them? No. Did they sign any documents? No. Did they incur any cost to society that made that so, or that would made under any argument of fairness that uh, that should be the case of their existence? No. That's where we are. So uh, that's the debt, the, the accumulation of the deficits for each year. So the deficit is the shortfall between tax collections, which I started off this podcast talking about why I'm no cheerleader for this tax system, because it doesn't even raise enough revenue to run the government. Of course, this year is an emergency with COVID, but emergencies happen all the time. Wars happen all the time. It's really not that too much of an outlier. Spanish flu happened in 1917, right? I mean, there should be some expectation that there needs to be reserves, but I'm, I'm not blaming any, anything for that. It just is what it is. So Deloitte mentions that the um, um, Congressional Budget Office preliminary estimate shows budget deficit reaching $3.7 trillion this year. I can barely spit it out without choking. $3.7 trillion. I think the highest was about $1.2 trillion when the world almost fell apart in 2008. And uh, whether because they had to do the TARP bill and inject all that money into the banking system, otherwise the ATM machines were going to shut down. And that was 1.2 or 1.4 trillion at the worst. Uh, everybody was filing their lost carryback claims uh, to get uh, back the taxes they paid on all their prior year. Uh, the last two or three years, it could go five years if you were a farmer. All kinds of different uh, exceptions. Don't hold me to that, but there. There was one five-year carryback period uh, for certain types of businesses, and the Treasury just bled money, just bled money. So uh, we're up to $3.7 trillion. 
and COVID bill number three and four, phase three and four are on the way uh, where uh, Congress will get together and again decide uh, uh, the bond markets will bear another um, spending of magic money uh, based on nothing, tied to nothing. It has no intrinsic value other than uh, somebody will buy our debt. And um, um, uh, uh, so that the 3.7 is not the end. I mean, if they pass another bill, uh, and, or which I think is very likely, the PPP loans will run out very soon again. Uh, and Secretary Mnuchin will say, hey, we promised everybody this forgivable loan. And the banks have run out of their allocation, so we need another two, three hundred trillion dollars, billion dollars, excuse me, two or three hundred billion dollars. I don't think we're done with that at all. On top of that, the states, um, again, I try to stay out of my lane, in my lane here, not getting too political, but the states, uh, Illinois, California, New York, and several other ones have said we are completely bankrupt. Why? Because everybody's staying at home. The sales tax revenue is down. Uh, people are not collecting wages, so the withholding taxes are way down. We're paying out tremendous sums of money for all kinds of social benefits, so we are bankrupt. And uh, the bank of final resort is the Federal Reserve uh, that the works in uh, conjunction with the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Treasury, and they are saying you have to bail us out, to which the Republicans are sitting there saying, well, at what point do we say no? And um, we are at one of these points in time where uh, many are arguing that the states had bankrupted pension plans in California and Illinois and New York and several, and New Jersey, New Jersey is a basket case. Very nice homes, very rich people. It is a financial basket case. And uh, uh, so um, some of the politics that's driving the policy is the Republicans are saying, well, well you know, we'll help you out with COVID. That's it. We're not going to cure 30 years of bad pensions. I, I will digress a minute. I know we're running a little long here, but there is a trick. There is a sneaky, sneaky trick that uh, municipal employees who are wonderful human beings, I'm not going there, uh, and their unions played for decades. I will pay you less today and give you a beggar, bigger, <laughs> didn't mean the same beg beggar, <laughs> and will give you a bigger pension benefit tomorrow. So the employees followed their unions. Often the employees were the majority voters in the town. Here in the mayor, here in Fremont, the mayor gets elected with 16,000 votes. We have, we have 260,000, I believe, maybe a little less than that, uh, residents. Some of those are kids, but I mean, the voters are clearly probably 140, 150,000. Nobody votes. So who's voting for the mayor? 16,000 votes. Mostly the employees of the city, right? So who's driving the policy? And so the city says, well, I really can't pay you more today because the real estate taxes and the sales taxes are down, but I can promise you more tomorrow for your pension. They have the uh, 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 Willie Brown rule, where if you're over 60 years old, you can start working 60 or 80% of the time uh, take half the day off almost and still get a full vesting of your pension. It's in the law. Willie Brown did it. That's why he got the bill passed, right? Oh, well, you've been around forever. You're a valuable person. We need you around. Uh, you want to work uh, part-time for a few more years till you phase out 
but gosh, why should you not get full vesting in your pension because you're such a wonderful, well, that's great. Well, try that at your private company. Okay. Those are a lot of um, value judgments. The point is the federal government, some, the, the Republican party is saying those are not COVID-19 issues. We are not fully funding uh, years and years of uh, bad management uh, of your state uh, uh, just because during this three-month, four-month, whatever it is, emergency, the uh, the gates of hell have opened <laughs> and there seems to be unlimited ha- uh, m- money in an emergency. Now, you may completely disagree. I don't agree with everything I just said. You know, I think there's exceptions and... Uh, but but that is the political pressure, and what it means is in phase three and four bills, they may literally, you know, the, the last two bills were almost unanimous. I think there was one no vote on one of them. Uh, the, the, the next ones aren't going to be n- unanimous. They're going to, uh, people are going to draw the line and say, no, 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 no more, no more Christmas tree bills where everybody gets a gift. This has to be a clean bill, and you get what you want. And, and I just, uh, you know, this is today's battle the issue is uh, this will all land on the back of our grandchildren, and um, and uh, I'm, I'll leave it at that. Okay, two more quick things. Um, I said I, I said I saw on the news last night President Trump made a strong pitch for something that has been an idea since the 1970s, which is if you want to s- stimulate the economy. Cut the payroll tax. Well, what is the payroll tax? Well, if you happen to look at your pay stub, if you're an employee, you pay uh, a good amount for Social Security. You pay a good amount for Medicare. Your employer also pays a good amount for Social Security and Medicare. You kind of split that. Well, in fact, you do split the cost of that. 6.2% for Social Security, uh, 1.45% of your gross pay. And gross pay is before 401k deductions or anything like that. It's gross, gross, gross pay. And your employer pays in a like amount. You may not even know that. You may not, didn't know. He's pitching in every paycheck, he or she. And uh, self-employed people pay a like amount through what's called the self-employment tax. It's really almost the same calculation. There's a few tweaks to it. And for years, economists have said, hey, you want to stimulate things? Just turn that off. Well, yin and yang, right? Yeah, okay, they'll stimulate it. Well, Social Security and the Medicare directors, these are supposed to be nonpartisan, independent managers of these huge multi-trillion dollar pools of money have both come out last year and said, you know, we're broke in five years. We're broke. Can't do it. You're going to have to cut benefits, right? So if you turn off the payroll tax, while that may be a, an emergency stimulation, it uh, doesn't make the other end of the equation disappear, right? There, there's an outbound payment that's going to happen that's based on those inbound payments. And uh, again, it comes down to this basic ver- uh, theory of life, whether you think magic, uh, uh, you know, more than grows on trees, it grows on computers with, uh, with no endpoint, as long as somebody will buy our bonds and you never have to worry about buying about paying those bonds because you can always refinance them because the economy will always grow large enough uh, to absorb the extra debt burden. Now, I think in my humble view, uh, President Trump's view is I have no choice. I have no choice. I have the greatest economy in the world that is turned off right now. We will think about that later. 
And then we are going to grow so big and so much that we're ultimately, it's a supply side economic theory that whatever that debt burden is, we can handle it. <laughs> might be, might be. Franklin Roosevelt certainly took that view about World War II. He, he spent like a drunken sailor times 10 because he had to build ships and bullets and howitzers and there was never a discussion of we can't do it and there were buyers for the debt and um, we won the war. So, so I, as a CPA, I'm not going to say um, he's not right, or, uh, but um, the sheer size of the numbers uh, sure scare me. And the last point I'm quickly going to make, uh, we sent out, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, um, Aaron, here, my, my humble assistant, uh, that uh, uh, write-up that I did, California has a penalty if you don't have health insurance. Now, uh, we could do an hour about the history of Obamacare and uh, the tax penalty that was imposed by, uh, uh, when the law was passed. I think it was 2012. And it went up to the Supreme Court and, and uh, Chief Justice Roger, Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts uh, was the deciding vote saying, well, it's really, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a fee, it's a tax. And the constitutional issue, which I will botch here, is that you can't force people to enter into a contract to buy insurance. So if it was a fee, it was unconstitutional. If it was a tax, it was constitutional. And by that, Justice Roberts' one vote, um, it, it passed. Otherwise, it would have been struck down. And years went by. And then uh, uh, when President Trump came into office, they re they uh, repealed the part of Obamacare that had a penalty. So that, oh, that, over, that trumped, without being cute, that trumped Roberts and the Supreme Court's ruling because it's not a fee, it's not a tax, it's just repealed. So it was gone, right? So you don't have to pay the penalty. So uh, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom and the crowd in Sacramento who uh, may be right or wrong, this is completely a value judgment, I'm not taking sides, said, you know what, we have a great idea. Let's put in our own penalty. Now, now I, I, I do want to comment, again, tax policy. For those of you who are old enough, Governor Gray Davis got recalled and thrown out of office, followed by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, because he increased the car registration tax by, if I recall right, I don't know, it was 50 or 70 bucks a car. And he said, hey, I need this money to build some more of the roads and whatever. And okay, well, you use the roads, you should pay for the fee. So when you register your car, you pay 50 or 70 bucks more. And the people rose up and recalled his butt and he was gone. And that's how we got Governor Schwarzenegger. So now um, we have, it's just, an, it's just amazing to me to see that now we have a, a political establishment who says the federal government got rid of their penalty. Isn't it a great idea that we should impose our own on our own state? And they have. And so you can end up paying two $2,000 plus penalty if you don't have insurance. And the, the clear intent of it is to drive you to the California care marketplace and sign up for that uh, Affordable Care Act insurance. And when we do the returns next year, see, this has never been done before 
on a state level. So we're going to have another burden when we go into our tax returns next year. We're going to have to ask all the clients, okay, you know, well, we thought we were done with this on the federal side, but you got to prove to me you have insurance. So I got to click a couple of boxes and it's going to look how many, your husband, wife, couple of kids, you didn't have insurance. Here's 3,000 bucks of penalties. You know, there's a more precise math. Now, there are exceptions, right? If you, uh, exclusions, where if you, you have uh, financial uh, upheaval, you're going bankrupt, uh, there are a few more, I won't get into it, but you should get into it if it might remotely apply to you. Go to the website at the Franchise Tax Board. They have a whole discussion of what their exceptions are. But um, again, in, in wonder and amazement, a state has imposed a penalty to replace the federal penalty. And uh, they're, 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 uh, I'll breach the line again a little. There is a recall movement uh, against Gavin Newsom, but it has not gotten to the required number of signatures to um, uh, get it on the ballot. I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. Uh, but I, again, I sit in amazement thinking about the days of Gray Davis, poor Gray, Governor Gray Davis, kicked out for raising that car registration fee for 70 bucks. <laughs> and here we are. Let's, let's put on a new penalty. Now, I will take the other side. Of course, there's social good, right? It's good for people to be insured. It's good. It's a good thing. No question about it. And, and with insurance, anybody who knows anything about insurance, you have to have the broadest base of covered people paying in fees so that when somebody needs their triple bypass and their hip surgery, and it costs 100000 bucks, that all the other healthy people are paying in to cover it. I completely understand. I get it. I just, again, politically sit in amazement how uh, the state is on its own imposing a tax penalty for not being insured. And, uh, of course, some of the politics uh, of it is that most people are insured. They have insurance at work. Um, uh, they're on Medicare. So that's the two big blocks already taken care of. You're working, you're covered at work. Two, you're on Medicare. Boom. Hey, no problem, right? So who is this hitting? This is hitting people who are in financial, either, you know, in, in some kind of financial dilemma uh, where they, 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 they are maybe have their own business, uh, but they and and uh, but even most self-employed businesses who are doing well, what's one of the first things people run out and do when you're doing well? Ah, let's get health insurance for ourselves and our employees because we're doing well, even though we're a partnership or an S corp or whatever. Understood, right? So maybe that's the third block, and they're okay. So who's left where the penalty may land? The people with some real problems. So I leave that to you to decide what's fair and not fair. My mission in this podcast is just say, please note this novel, never happened before situation where the state, not the feds, the state is imposing a penalty on you for not having health insurance and make sure you've done what you need to do to be clear of that penalty. All right. As we move on, stay safe, stay socially distant. Uh, again, this is Ron Cohen, partner at Greenstein Rogoff Olson and Company. We do tax planning and tax returns. Feel free to give us a call, 510-797-8661. Please uh, take no reliance on anything you hear in this podcast without having it duly verified by by either us as a direct client or by some other tax advisor. I hope you uh, do well into the next week. 
Still more changes to come. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now.